Welcome to Music History Monday for February 19th, 2024. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is Frankie and Johnny and Helen and Lee. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. I am aware that Valentine's Day is already five days past, but darned if the romantic warm and fuzzies aren't still lingering with me like a rash from poison oak. As such, I will be excused for offering up what I will admit is a belated, but nevertheless, Valentine's Day-related post. Gratitude. We should all be grateful that the following Valentine's Day-related post is not on the lines of those blogs I wrote in 2010 and 2011, blogs written for various websites in my attempt to drum up sales for my great courses slash teaching company courses. For example, I wrote a couple of Valentine's Day-themed blogs in 2011, one for HuffPost and the other for JDate, as in Jewish dating. For those posts, entitled Romantic Music, I was tasked with recommending appropriately romantic music for an intimate tete-a-tete Valentine's Day evening. This is how they began. Quote, Fresh flowers, chilled champagne, and a candlelight dinner for two, the stereotypical trappings of a successful Valentine's Day evening. But the sensual menu is still incomplete. Smell, taste, touch, and sight are covered, but proper sound is still wanting. Yes, indeed. Music, the purported feast of the gods, the indispensable oral lubricant for romance, must be chosen and chosen well." Unquote. Oh my God, gag me with not just a spoon, but an industrial-sized ladle. BTW, I will not waste your time with the music I recommended except to observe that it consisted of all the usual suspects, saccharine music for a hallmark holiday. One song that wasn't on my list back then but would surely be on it today, is one that reflects the cynicism with which I now hold the entire St. Valentine's Day trip. That song is Frankie and Johnny. Frankie and Johnny. There are so many different versions of the song Frankie and Johnny that to this day, no one is precisely sure who originally wrote it. Writing in 1962, a musicologist named Bruce Redfern Buckley unearthed 291 different versions of Frankie and Johnny. The version we are most familiar with today was created by the Leighton brothers, Frank and Bert, along with the then well-known folk musician Wren Shields in 1908. The lyric of the song tells the lurid tale of a prostitute named Frankie and her wayward boyfriend, Johnny. 
here are the first nine of the song's 13 verses. Frankie and Johnny were lovers. Oh, Lordy, how they could love. They swore to be true to each other, just as true as the stars above. He was her man, but he'd done her wrong. Frankie and Johnny went walking. Johnny had a brand new suit. Frankie paid a hundred dollars just to make her man look cute. He was her man, but he'd done her wrong. Johnny said, I've got to leave you, but I won't be very long. Don't you wait up for me, honey, nor worry while I'm gone. He was her man, oh, but he'd done her wrong. Frankie went down to the corner, stopped in to buy her some beer, says to the fat bartender, has my Johnny man been here? He was her man, but he'd done her wrong. Well, I ain't going to tell you no story, ain't going to tell you no lie. Johnny went by about an hour ago with a girl named Nellie Bly. He is your man, but he's doing you wrong. Frankie went home in a hurry. She didn't go there for fun. She hurried home to get a hold of Johnny's shooting gun. He was her man, but he's doing her wrong. Frankie took a cab at the corner, says, driver, step on this cab. She was just a desperate woman, getting too timed by her man. He was her man, but he's doing her wrong. Frankie got out at South Clark Street, looked in a window so high, saw Johnny Man, a lovin' up, that highbrow Nellie Bly. He was her man, but he'd done her wrong. Johnny saw Frankie a-comin'. Out the back door he did scoot. But Frankie took aim with her pistol, and the gun went root-a-toot-toot. He was her man, but he'd done her wrong. Ah, romance, don't you think? Now that's a Valentine's Day-appropriate love song. No flowers and carb-loaded chocolates, but rather genuine passion and three forty-four caliber slugs. The song was inspired by an actual event that took place in an apartment building at 212 Targhee Street in St. Louis, Missouri's Red Light District. At 2 a.m. on the morning of October 15, 1899, a 22-year-old prostitute named Frankie Baker 1876 to 1952, shot and killed her lover and pimp, the 17-year-old Allen or Albert Britt. According to her neighbor, Richard Clay, Frankie Baker, quote, was a beautiful light brown girl who liked to make money and spend it. She dressed very richly, sat for company in magenta clothing with diamonds as big as hen's eggs in her ears. There was a long razor scar down the side of her face. She got in her teens from a girl who was jealous of her. She only weighed about 115 pounds, but she had the eye of one you couldn't monkey with. She was a queen sport." Unquote. 
There are a number of versions of what happened that evening and night of October 14th and 15th, 1899. In one version of the story, Britt had just returned to the apartment he shared with Frankie from a dance contest where he and an 18-year-old prostitute named Alice Pryor had just won a prize in a slow dancing competition. Frankie and Alan argued about it and root a toot toot. In another version of the story, Frankie discovered Britt and Alice Pryor in flagrante root a toot toot. Whatever actually happened, Alan Britt took a single bullet to the abdomen and died four days later. Frankie Baker's trial began just four weeks later, on November 13, 1899. During the trial, she claimed that Alan Britt had beaten her badly a few nights before the shooting and that she had shot him in self-defense when he pulled a knife. The defense won out. The jury reached a verdict of justifiable homicide and self-defense. Bless her, Frankie Baker lived another 53 years and died in Portland, Oregon in 1952. The song makes its debut. Within 24 hours of the shooting, three days before the wounded Alan Britt had even died, the first version of the song was already making its rounds through St. Louis's red light district. It was entitled, Frankie Killed Alan. I think we can all agree that the later substitution of Johnny for Alan, to say nothing for Albert, improved the poetic flow of the lyric significantly. Okay, all of this Valentine's Day and Frankie and Johnny related stuff is most entertaining, but what, you ask, does it have to do with today, February 19th? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Helen and Lee, they were lovers. On February 19th, 1972, 52 years ago today, the American jazz trumpeter Edward Lee Morgan was shot and killed by his common-law wife Helen Moore during a gig. Lee Morgan was 33 years old at the time of his death. The episode was a virtual replay of the shooting of Alan Britt by Frankie Morgan in St. Louis, Missouri in 1899, a shooting that, as we all know, inspired the song Frankie and Johnny. Edward Lee Morgan was born in Philadelphia on July 10, 1938. He received his first trumpet as a 13th birthday gift from his older sister, Ernestine. The kid learned fast because at the age of 18, he joined Dizzy Gillespie's big band and began making recordings under his own name. Soon after joining Gillespie's outfit, the band played a gig at the famed New York jazz club Birdland. That was when and where the celebrated jazz critic Nat Hentoff had the following experience, quote, Every listener to jazz has had a few experiences so startling that they are literally unforgettable. 
One of mine took place during an engagement the Dizzy Gillespie Big Band had at Birdland. My back was to the bandstand as the band started to play Night in Tunisia. Suddenly, a trumpet soared out of the band into a break that was so vividly brilliant and electrifying that all conversation in the room stopped. I turned and saw that the trumpeter was the very young sideman from Philadelphia, Lee Morgan." Unquote. Yes, indeed, Lee Morgan could play. And he seems to have played and recorded with everyone who was anyone on the jazz scene in the late 1950s and 1960s. Unfortunately, in living the life, Morgan succumbed to that most pernicious element of the life heroin addiction. It was during the worst days of his addiction, in 1962, that he met and fell in love with a woman 12 years his senior named Helen Moore. She was born in 1926 in Brunswick County, North Carolina, on a farm near Shalott, roughly 50 miles from the city of Wilmington, North Carolina. Ms. Moore was what we might charitably call an early bloomer. At 13, she had her first child. At 14, her second child. At 17, she married a 39-year-old bootlegger from New York City. He drowned under circumstances that remain unclear, leaving her a widow at 19. She traveled to New York City, presumably for two weeks to settle his affairs, and ended up staying for 30 years. In 1962, Helen Moore and Lee Morgan met and moved in together, writes Larry Rennie Thomas, the author of the book, The Lady Who Shot Lee Morgan, UBUS Communications, 2014, quote, after he moved in with her, she helped him get off of the drugs, cleaned him up, and became his manager. Helen helped him restore his career. The good years for them were when Lee was working. He was making good money, had a young and much in-demand band, appeared on TV, released several excellent recordings, and was touring all over the United States and abroad. They were meeting and greeting people who were high-profile, show-business personalities who they entertained in their apartment. Late in their decade-long relationship, however, she noticed that his attitude changed and that he became more distant. Helen suspected that he was seeing a younger woman who she said she saw hanging around." Unquote. Yep, there was a younger woman in Lee Morgan's life. Her name was Judith Johnson. On the night of February 18 and 19, 1972, Lee Morgan's band was performing at a jazz club in New York City's East Village named Slug's Saloon at 342 East 3rd Street. Around midnight on February 19th, Helen Moore arrived at Slug's to catch Lee's final set. During the break before that final set, she saw him with Judith Johnson and became furious. She went backstage and the two had what was described as being a screaming match. 
Lee Morgan then reportedly physically pushed Helen out of the club. Morgan was climbing back onto the stage to play his final set when Helen re-entered the club. She called out Morgan's name, he turned around, and she shot him once in the chest. The club's doorman, Lee Holman, wrestled the gun away from her. It was only then that Helen Moore started to scream, Baby, baby, what have I done? as she ran towards the stage. Lee Morgan might have survived the gunshot, but there was a near blizzard going on outside the club, and by the time an ambulance finally arrived, a full hour later, he had bled to death. Helen Moore was arrested, tried, and convicted of the murder of Lee Morgan, for which she served her time. On being paroled, she remained in New York until 1978, after which she returned to her native North Carolina, where she became active in the Methodist Church, hung out with her grandkids, and studied at a local college and received a degree. In February of 1996, in the final stages of the heart disease that led to her death just a month later, Helen Moore decided to finally tell her story by giving her first and only interview about her life with Lee Morgan and his murder. Quote, did I love him? Or did I think of him as my possession? And I think that might have been my fault because I might have started being too possessive or too much like a mother to him. I was much older than Morgan. I thought about it like I made him. You know, I brought you back. You belong to me. And you are not supposed to go out there and do this." Unquote. By this, we assume that Helen Moore was referring to Morgan's carrying on with Judith Johnson. And there it is, right? Lee Morgan was Helen Moore's man, but he'd done her wrong. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.